Boom. Hey guys, welcome to episode three of Turn Back the Clock. I'm Adam. That's Dylan. How you doing, man? Good. Thank, thank you for having me. And uh, I'm excited to be here and do this uh, episode with you. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one. These are all fun, but this one is going to be a little different. Uh, the, I would say the theme of this episode, let's just call it gambling. Um, it's a, it's a, I know it's a, um, I guess you could call it a triggering term in the hobby. It's, uh, you know, people have different feelings on it. I know when I first started, uh, you know, watching a lot of content on YouTube or listening to podcasts, uh, you know, I would say the majority of, of the content was like gambling's bad for the hobby. You know, when they, when people talk about uh, modern cards and it's basically, it's, well, it's just gambling. Um, so it's always kind of had like a negative connotation, which I understand, but me personally, um, I have a little different take on it. So we're going to discuss, we're going to start the show off here. We're going to turn back the clock. We're going to talk about uh, some personal experiences with gambling in the hobby, uh, even gambling outside the hobby, uh, just, you know, some personal stories. And then in the second half, uh, it's going to be a nice little surprise, something that people who uh, follow your channel, Dylan, I think will not see coming, maybe be a little unexpected. So we're going to get into that. Um, but we'll start first gambling. All right. So I want to start, Dylan, let me ask you, um, when I just say gambling in the hobby, what comes to your mind first? Like what, give me some initial thoughts on, on that topic. Um, how does it make you feel? Opening packs. It, it's, it's that, that's what pops into my head essentially is opening packs. How, how deep do you want me to take this at the moment? Do you want to, cause that's what initially pops into my head, but I, where do you want me to go? Well, yeah, first, what would you give me like um, opening packs? I agree that just the very nature of the probably the the foundation of the hobby opening packs is in itself a gamble. Uh, and obviously that's with the with how cards are now, especially with modern stuff, ultra modern stuff. That's like that on steroids now with box breaks and all this stuff. Uh, but it's really the same idea um, where, you know, there's a lot more money at stake now, of course, but. Give me like, uh, give me a story uh, from the past. We're going to turn back the clock. I got a couple stories. Give me a story that you have um, where it relates to gambling in the hobby. All right. This is perfect. That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> All right. So I've told this slightly in my channel, if you followed me before, but this story pertains to a time in my life where my me and my friend Danny, we were buying so we were going to this place called Frankensons, and we were spending a lot of money buying boxes and opening them up. We literally, we wanted to sell cards, you know, as I was more like, I want to sell cards as a business. And so let's buy all these packs and let's rip them open and let's sell every expensive card we pull or everyone that's every rookie, every card that was worth $5 more. I listed them right on eBay, right when we pulled them out of the pack. That's That was the original plan for this whole, you know, the business plan we had going. And we were buying our own cards and we had our own eBay stores. Well, we were buying, I'm literally spending like $800 a week going to Frank and Sons and, and maxing out the ATM, pulling all the money we can and they, you know, and then having to go while it's open because they wouldn't give you enough money. And, and there, this was around 2000, this is all the way from 2004 to let's say 2000 and 
nine, I think, or eight might have been the very last year. I have loads of 2008, so I know we were heavy into it. There was a, there was, it, it was, it was absolute blast. Every Wednesday, we'd go to Frank and Sons, and we would buy about $800 in boxes each, and we'd walk out of there, and we'd go on the way home. We'd open, the guy who was driving, the other guy had to open a box on the way home and funnel through a box so we can enjoy it on the way home. We get home, we crack open some beers, and we had a pool table at the house as we lived together, and we would open packs and play beer, try and make it last as long as possible. But at the end of it, we always felt sick to our stomach. I mean, literally, like, it's, it's basically when we drove away from Frankenstein's, we, we started having this sickness of, like, dude, how much money did we just burn? <laughs> And it, it was so crazy. And during this year that I that we spent all this money, there was one year on eBay that I sold. This is how crazy it got. I sold, I've never said this before because it's a weird thing to talk about, but I sold $20,000 worth of cards just on my end in one year from pack pulls, from cards that I pulled in packs. And that was all the stuff that was worth money at, the, at that moment. I remember it was like, Joba Chamberlain or Jabba. I, I can't remember how to say his name. Like that era and a, a couple other eras that I think that was the big one, 2008. And so I only tell that story because in my head, I was, I was like, man, this it's working. I'm selling all this. I probably spent 40 grand. Right. But I had all this excess inventory at home, like, you know, 5,000 count boxes, which I still have. And I'm going through and, and, and the whole idea was sell those, and then save that other stuff that the rookies are worth 99 cents and they're not worth anything right now. But in 10 years, you go back in those boxes or each year you follow along. And, and then when guys are hitting home runs, you start, you're like, oh, I got 10 of those. Let's fast forward all the way till about six years ago. I was going through my 5,000 count boxes and really pushing because I moved to Hawaii and really pushing my eBay store. This is where I was going to make a living. I really am like, I'm going to make a living selling cards on eBay, selling comments, all the stuff that I had all these years that I opened. And I had a bunch of Kate Clayton Kershaw rookies, some like insane ones. I had like nine, uh, in, in packs, like the, the upper deck, uh, I mean the, the tops update ones. And then I had the Chrome version too, that was still in the pack that the pack was open and then put back and closed because we were opening so many that it's just like, he was no one. So all said and done, it was tons of fun, tons of gambling. It got out of control, but I think that it could work. So there's two sides of that. If I would have stuck to it and then only bought a certain amount and you stick to the flagship stuff, I know you can make a living opening pack. So that's why there is a gamble, but there's also a way to do it where you literally could make a living opening packs, but you have to, in my how I've done it, you have to open the packs that come with a lot of cards. So regular tops, tops, Allen and Ginter, um, regular Bowman. That's pretty expensive now too, but there's certain sets that you could buy and do that. And those are the ones that I always bought and I always had that in my mind, but I still wish back then that the older guys there, when we were going to the vintage tables and stuff, and I was buying vintage only online. I wish I had, I wish I would have talked to them more and not gone down that path, of course. And I would have had way more value in the stuff that I have, you know, today. But gambling wise, it was always a gamble. And my buddy 
went completely overboard. And one day I came home and he ordered stuff on blowout. Cause in the middle of the week, we were ordering stuff on blowout cards. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. They discount boxes. And back then nobody collected baseball cards. <laughs> Everything was like going on wholesale. You get all kinds of stuff. He bought a $3,000 case of tops, triple threads. And it showed up and I was like, dude, that's crazy. They're one card or two cards in a box. They come in little mini boxes, a whole case. And that was the end of it. And he's never bought cards ever since that case because he pulled nothing. And I have some of his cards. I've showed them on my, I have a super refractor 101 on my wall, graded a 10 that he pulled back then. I pulled one Evan Longoria, 2008 tops, Allen and Ginter art card that Dick Perez, the original one that was in a rip card and I ripped open sitting next to Danny on a drive home from Frankenstein's and the card is on the poster that comes with the box. So it was like, that was the biggest hit. At, I went home, sold it two grand. That, so we had moments of glory, but we never pulled anything like anything crazier than that. So it, it it's definitely gambling. And you know, that that's a story I have for gambling and opening packs. It's fun. It's exciting, but you really have to control yourself. And someone like me, I just don't stand a chance. I, I, I can't control myself. So there's my story of uh, that side of it. Well, it's a great story. And it kind of sums up a lot of the feelings I have about, you know, gambling in the hobby, even sports gambling. Uh, is that something that have you ever dabbled in betting on sports uh, when, when you were in Vegas or have you ever done anything like that? I have done like tiny $20 bets with friends. I have a friend who got pretty deep into it and I watched him like it just was a roller coaster ride and there was never enough money on the line to, you know, become that millionaire. And when you did have to put a lot of money on the line, it just looked like so much stress. So for me, it was like buying cases of baseball cards. At least I'm getting something. Right. So I never dabbled into that, but I, I know you have, and I want to hear this story. So. Yeah. I mean, well, so I think it's a, the big difference between, um, you know, gambling in, in cards. Like for example, if um, you know, you think, you think the uh, Denver nuggets are going to win the NBA championship this year. And you say, I'm going to buy a uh, Nikola, Nikola Jokic. He's their MVP and probably the best player in the league right now. And you say, I'm going to buy one of his cards. And if they win the championship, uh, you know, I'm going to sell it. I'm going to make some money. That, so if you go that route, that can, you can do that. Um, it can work. But the nice part about that is there's not – you don't go to zero if he doesn't win the championship this year. His cards don't become worthless. Whereas if you bet on the Nuggets to win the championship and they don't, you go to zero. So it's an all-or-nothing type proposition. <coughs> Excuse me. I like I like the difference between that. I like that that um, cards you you can make some bets, so to speak, on modern cards. Uh, like for example, if you bought Aaron Judge cards at the beginning of last baseball season, we're going to take a look at Card Ladder in a few minutes, and I'm going to show his index. I'm going to show what he did over the season. Now, of course, he hit 62 home runs, so that's an extreme example. But there are scenarios still where you can. Uh, make a play or bet on a player, let's say before a season and make money during that season on the cards if you want to. So, and even if it doesn't work out generally, you know, where we're at now, you're not going to see yourself go to zero, like with sports betting. But uh, I, I have definitely dabbled in sports betting. Um, a quick story. 
probably my first, the first sports bet that I remember was probably my, my, I don't know, my, my favorite or my uh, most meaningful bet, which was, and one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of um, Tom Brady and I collect his cards. Uh, this was back 2002. I know you're not a big football guy, but basically 2002, the Patriots came out of nowhere. Tom Brady came out of nowhere. He was never supposed to be anything but a backup, uh, but the starter got hurt. So the Patriots went on a huge run during the season. They, it was an improbable run. It was also right after 9-11. So, um, you know, the Patriots, 9-11, it, it had a lot of ties and, um, you know, it, it had it had some different meanings to it. Uh, but the Patriots were in the Super Bowl that year against the, the Rams. And the Rams had won the Super Bowl the year before. And they were huge favorites. They were 14-point uh, favorites, which, you know, if you look at – most Super Bowls now, the line is like right around three usually. So it's usually very close matchups now in Super Bowls. Uh, so this was like a huge David and Goliath type game. 14 points. Um, now, I was a lifelong Patriots fan and they had never, you know, won anything. They made one Super Bowl, but they got blown out. Um, so basically, this was like, you know, total bet with my heart. I decided this was I was still in college. I had very little money. Uh, but I said, I'm going to put a hundred bucks on the Patriots to not just cover the spread, but to actually win the game. Uh, so it was something like pl plus 500, meaning if you bet a hundred bucks, you win 500 bucks. So you win five times your bet. That's how much of an underdog they were. Um, so as most people know, they ended up winning that game. So I ended up, I ended up, uh, that was probably my first bet that I ever made on a, on a sports <laughs> sports game. And uh, won 500 bucks for me. Uh, what was I? 2000. I was like just turned 21. So I was, uh, I think, a junior in college. Uh, huge. Not only, you know, the game itself was like just a monumental game in my sports rooting career because I had never seen one of my teams win before. Combine that with me winning 500 bucks, making a crazy $100 bet on the money line. Uh, it, it was just an unbelievable feeling. So that uh, is a, it, it's a story that, um, you know, you get betting on sports can get totally out of hand. Trust me. I know that. Um, but you also if you can do it within reason, if you can do it as a form of entertainment. I know people who, you know, on Sundays they bet like 50 bucks or 100 bucks. Uh, they spread it out through games and they just have fun. They track their bets and stuff. And if they lose, they don't try to double up and win it back or anything like that. They don't chase. Um, you know, they're very disciplined and they, it adds to the experience of watching sports. And um, I think it's a lot like alcohol where some people can, you know, have a couple drinks, right. And it, you know, makes them feel a little better, puts them in a better mood. I don't drink every night. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't go crazy, but uh, if you can do it without take, you know, uh, without abusing it, like alcohol, some people can't do it. So they, you know, don't drink at all. And I totally understand that. Some people can't bet on sports because it gets out of hand and they know themselves. And I respect that. But there are people that, and that's part of the reason why when I hear no matter what, when the word gambling comes up, whether it's sports or sports cards, there's a lot of people who immediately turn it negative. Like, oh, that's no place. I hate it. Uh, no one should be able to do it. Uh, it's not, I, I, in my opinion, I think that's kind of a closed-minded view. It might not be for you, 
But, uh, and, you know, gambling in the hobby might not be for you. Betting on sports might not be, but there's a lot of people who get a lot of entertainment out of it. So um, I don't, I'm not encouraging it. I'm, I'm not, it's not something I'm saying like everyone should do. Everyone should, bet, you know, uh, make plays in sports cards and make bets on sports. It's not for everyone, but it's also not something that, you know, it's legal now in a lot of states betting on sports. Um, and it's also something that can add a lot of fun and enjoyment to whatever it is, whether it's cards or sports. So, um, you know, that's my take. Now, when it comes to sports cards, uh, I'm going to turn back the clock to 2021, not that far back, 2021. Um, probably the dumbest thing I ever did in sports card. <laughs> and this is this is a good example because it, it points to a larger point, which is going to lead us into the the next the next conversation of part two here. Um, so 2021, uh, I'll probably tell maybe on here, I'll go into further detail on um, the big card sale I made of a Larry Bird PSA 10 1981 card. I've mentioned it and kind of summed it up, but it's a pretty cool story overall. But basically I made a big sale. I made a, I made a, you know, a sale where I, it was a card I bought for 900 bucks years back. And I ended up selling it for like 28,000 bucks, right? When I kind of caught wind that sports cards were exploding and I was like, well, I got to sell something. So I sold, I sold that one, um, took some money off the table, so to speak. Um, but of course, you know, it's never that simple, right? It's, I was feeling so good. I was, I was flying high, baby. And, um, you know, I wanted to get in on some of this modern stuff too, right? Like I'm a basketball fan. So, uh, at that time, Kevin Durant, who uh, he had just decided to join the Brooklyn Nets, and he teamed up with uh, Kyrie Irving and James Harden was on the, got on the team. Uh, so basically, for me, it was like, oh, this is a no-brainer. I'm gonna because the market still hadn't tanked yet with modern basketball. So this was like, you know, maybe probably like uh, March of 2021, something like that. So I said, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna take some of this money. And I'm going to put, I'm going to start buying a few of these uh, Kevin Durant rookie cards, right? Which looking back, were totally inflated in price at the time. Um, but regardless, you know, I was like, it's very simple. He's going to win the championship this year. He would, they were like heavy, heavy favorites to win the championship. So it was like almost a sure bet, right? I was like, I'm going to buy these cards. I bought like three or four of his rookie cards. And well, turned out they almost, they almost did. He, his foot was on the line on a, a three point shot in um, uh, game seven against the Milwaukee Bucks. They ended up not winning the series. Milwaukee goes on to win the championship. Uh, a combination of that with the tanking of all modern basketball cards, basically, you know, I ended up selling these things off for like, I don't know, 80% loss, something like that. So that is a, now that's a perfect example of a stupid move because not because I made a play or I, I made a bet on a player in cards because I hate Kevin Durant. I've always hated Kevin Durant. I hate the Brooklyn Nets. I like nothing about anything I did. I bought those cards solely because I thought they were going to go up in price. I thought he was going to win the championship. And I was, I thought it was a cool thing that ah, maybe I'll make some money. It'll be fun. That's, uh, I'm just saying that is a stupid thing to do. Totally different from if I was a, lifelong uh, Nets fan, lifelong Kevin Durant fan or whatever. Uh, and even if those cards tank, I still enjoy having them in my collection, right? That I think is the way to do it. 
uh, I did. I didn't do it right. So I, I learned a valuable lesson there. And <laughs> a lot of people did during that time period, too. But, you know, I think but you can buy players that you want to collect long term, uh, but you can also, you know, buy buy them. And this will lead us into the next thing. Buy them with the intent to maybe sell some of them, whether it's at the end of a season or I don't have anything against that type of, um, I don't know, investing or whatever you want to call it. I'm not someone who's like, oh, there's no place for that. I think that there is a place for that. I think um, especially now that things have come down, I think it can it can totally work. So that's my um, cautionary tale. <laughs> Me being an idiot. So there we that go. was a good one. That was great. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> don't, don't buy players that you hate. Yes. <laughs> Simple please. as that. And don't chase the market. <laughs> don't chase the market. Um, um, yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add before we, we go into part two here or anything? Well, else? I, I, I love that. So I'm totally on board on like, I've made bets over the years on, you know, three years ago, I bought Otani cards. I spent $1,000 on Otani cards is before the pandemic. And I placed a bet. I bought a thousand dollars worth and I bought a stack of, of ungraded, a dollar fifty each is rookie cards and then i bought like 10 psa 10s i just went all in buy it now it's bing 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 because there's plenty of dealers out there that just wanted to get rid of inventory he got hurt he had a bad season he came out of the gates hot and then he got hurt and so i go well 20 for psa 10s i was paying and then there was a dollar fifty for his other rookie so i spent a thousand dollars on those cards just as an experiment and the fact that i loved otani's story i i i knew about him coming into the majors and i'm an angels fan um he was like i knew he was supposed to be the next babe reef so i'm like 20 bucks for psa 10 so i bought all that stuff and i bought it because i'm like well it's it's the same price as getting a car graded almost it was like 10 bucks to get a car graded then and i was like 20 bucks okay awesome great so bought all that stuff not thinking i was gonna flip it in a year not thinking i was gonna flip it just thinking this is a good in investment and i get to collect this guy well, of course, I just got completely lucky, shot out of the dark that it, he ends up, you know, getting being the MVP that season, you know, that following season after I bought that after I bought the cards and then the pandemic hit and the stuff just blew up. So I sold everything I had except for the stack of Raws and like five or six PSA 10 and some SGCs. But I, I made five thousand dollars on that stuff and I had and I was not planning on selling it. So it was one of those freak bets that it wasn't a bet, but things, you know, if you just buy the guy, I like buying guys that have been, that are kicked down the totem pole for no reason. Um, they got hurt or something and there's just no risk because you're going to collect the guy you like. It was an, he's an Angels and I'm an Angels fan. I've been an Angels fan my whole life. It's only, only games I've ever been to are Angel games. So it was a no brainer. And, and, and that ended up well, and now I ended up lucky. But I sold that stuff at the lucky time and got out and said, okay. And I got some left just to have in my collection. Um, so that's kind of – I totally understand it. it's fun to be involved in your sport that you're collecting too on that aspect of placing bets without placing a bet on the team. You place a bet on a player by buying their cards that you like, that you collect. Not a Kevin Durant. If I would have bought some random guy – you know, that I don't collect on, on, on my team. Like what's the point? Cause then if he does get crushed, then you're, you're really bummed out. So I've done this before. And you know, the best bet I made that whole time was the paper. They call them paper Bowman's. 
I bought that stack for $1.50 each. Those have gone up. Those are still $15 each. So the best bet I made the whole time was buying ungraded, a stack of ungraded cards from the pit. And I, and I have the stack of it. I just got it back. So it's funny. All that research I did during that is literally the ungraded cards made the most profit if I were to sell them or if I were to sell them when they're at their peak at like $25. But I, I just held on them there in a vault. So I just left them there. Um, so there was a, it, it's fun to place bets on certain things and to do some research. So with that said, you want me to go into what we're, what I got going on now? Yeah. Part two, this is a, this is a, this is cool. Okay. Because I know you as double D vintage baseball cards, right? Uh, but very recently you have become double D vintage and modern <laughs> baseball cards. Um, you a lot, and, and we, this fits together in this episode because you are, and I want to learn more about this, but you are buying modern modern cards of, of um, you know, a lot of a very specific player we'll, we'll show and talk about here uh, with, with investment in mind, with, with the idea of you're doing it perfectly. You're, you're collecting a player that you are a fan of, that you like, that you want to have cards long-term of, but also, I think has a lot of potential to be able to be something that um, you sell some of the cards, if not all of them, some of them, where you can make some money. There's definitely a chance there, a good chance. Um, nothing's 100%, but uh, yeah, tell us about what you're doing with uh, modern cards. Your, I call it the big, the big move. That's what I'm going to put in the title of this. Dylan's big move, big modern move. So give us, give us some insight on that. All right, Adam. Well, yeah. So I am, I am the vintage guy. That's what I collect, but I'm, I'm into baseball cards. I'm into stuff. I, I open blaster boxes now and then when I go to target and, and I enjoy them. I miss the boat on certain players and it's because I don't like placing bets on, on, you know, I don't like placing bets on players. I just don't like doing it. I've done that. If they get crushed and they're inexpensive and there's no like, risk involved then that's where i kind of step in now this player that i'm collecting has risk meaning the cards are still really expensive but they were way more expensive in the last two years and i missed the boat originally on this player and his and and the reason i'm i went down this as well is because he's gonna make the hall of fame so he has that aspect in me as a vintage collector. I want the proven gems. I want the Apple stocks. I want the Walmarts and the Pepsi Colas cards that will hold their value. And I don't have that risk to them that, you know, there's still risk. So I went after Mike Trout. Mike Trout is, you know, I missed it. I, I didn't ever own a single Mike Trout card that was of more than a anything I pull in a pack that was, of low value. Let me tell you how this all started. Quick story. I just won a Mickey Mantle card. Um, I'm forgetting the year right now. It was a World Series one. He was, I think it was a, regardless, it doesn't matter. I won this card. It got shipped from my house. This is about two months ago. And it, it came and it, I opened the pack up and it was a Mike Trout 2012 Bowman, um, Bowman card. And it was his gold version. And I was just like, dude that's a really cool so it was wrong right the guy shipped the wrong card and i was like man that's so sick 
a Mike Trout. So it really got my head spinning. And what I really got me going is the fact that I looked the price up. So the guy made a mistake. I go, well, what's this Mike Trout worth? I actually kind of like this card. I, this is 2012. This is his second year ago. Huh. Did I just like, is this guy going to let me keep this card? Maybe it's a $300 card. I was thinking it was a gold version. And I was like, man, this thing's insane. Not numbered, but the gold version of the Bowman paper. And it ended up, you could buy those cards for $30. Buy it now, 35, 40 bucks. And I was, so I reached out to the guy and said, hey, would you mind selling, you know, you give me a $15 discount. The mantle was $50. You give me a $15 discount, I'll keep the card. We don't have to deal with it. But he was really slow about getting back to me. And, and so I ended up keeping that card on my desk for a week and just staring at it. And I started doing a bunch of re research. And I realized that card was 35 bucks ago. The second year Mike Trout card graded a PSA 9 gold. I'm like, that sounds cheap. So I went on there and yeah, it was cheap because they used to be like during the pandemic, I think they're, you know, they're over a hundred bucks. Some of them, you probably got up to 200. And, and so I'm like, man, this is insane. So I shipped that card back, but it got me on the ball, got me on the train and got me thinking and realizing that the Mike Trout cards have come down in value so much over the last two years. Now I'm trying to buy them at prices that were basically before the pandemic. Now I'm, I went nuts and I went super crazy and decided to go down a, a path i wanted to really choose wisely of what cards i was going to buy hold I on already, before you uh before you show these cards let me just yeah. real quick i want to pull yeah. this up this is from card ladder this is um mike trout's player index so it looks at 232 different trout cards and this is from the last year you can see here his index is down 43 percent. so you know down very significantly a combination of the market being down him having, uh, even though he hit 40 home runs last year, he still, you know, he was injured and missed a bunch of games, but he still hit 40 home runs. Uh, so, you know, he's on a downward trend right now. Uh, so is the overall market. But, yeah, over the last Why year. Don't you put, can you put the three-year chart up there? I can do, uh, let's see, there's two years. Let's see, two years. Two years, he's down 37%. So two years, that's almost right before the pandemic, maybe. Can you go all time? Yeah, let's do all time. All time, it goes way low. So, yeah. So what's yeah. that? Go go to like 2020, right before the pandemic. Yeah. Or is it 2019? 2020. Yeah. 20, 2020. Um, yeah. So well, well you, you can just, just scroll on it just so we yeah. see it. Yeah. There we go. So 2019, 2018. Well, the, the real climb, you know, every, everything's dead, obviously 2014, but then he's having great, great seasons, pretty steady climb 2017, 2018. Then 2019, he's like a shoot. He's shooting up straight up. Yeah. Then pretty, you know, even there going up 2020, huge spike end of 2020. And then it peaks like a lot of, a lot of cards, a lot of indexes, um, you know, May of 2021. And then just yeah. straight. Down. So <laughs> what I found fascinating about this chart, cause I have card ladder. I, I didn't tell you, but I, after I started buying trouts, I, I signed up for card ladder. So I could look at this, this data. What's cool is, from 2010 all the way to 2018, it almost, even though he became an incredible player, it follows the same chart as a lot of the cards were unpopular for a long time. And their their trajectory was very minimal. And then in like 2018, they all started to go up. So what's cool is I don't feel like I'm just missed a boat on Mike Trout. Any cards you were buying back then are worth a lot more today than they were now. And so I'm 
I'm looking at the chart now and I see it like 2019, right before the pandemic, I'm getting them at the same price or not lower. If you overall the, my, my shots, I might be paying more for certain cards and less for certain cards, but I was like, man, this is the time Dylan, like step up to the plate and, and let's make some moves. And, and I wanted to collect Mike Trout. Like, I'm like, his cards are sick. He's an incredible player. If you compare him, I started comparing everything, like going to the war and comparing him to Mickey Mantle, all that stuff's on the internet. Willie Mays, he beats out Mickey Mantle, barely beats him out in the same time frame as years that he's played the 10 or whatever years. So, and he's got an 80 something war. So the guy's in the hall of fame. So I'm going to, I went down. So here, here's where I, here's where my trajectory was. I was thinking, what do I buy? Cause there's millions of my trial cards. I wanted to buy stuff that was produced before 2019, before the market took off and people, I think the company started producing more. And I wanted to buy a lot of second year and third year cards because the third year card has the rookie cup. So, and then I go, well, I want all of his cards. So I decided to go down the golds, the tops golds, because I always open tops packs and I love getting the golds that are numbered to the year. And to me, gold started in like 1991 they started doing these gold winners cards you could send away for them i think there's something like that and it, it started a tradition of golds in tops and they've kept that tradition all these years so my as like a, a traditional collector like as a guy that just loves tops and the way they do things instead of going after all these these crazy extractors and super attractors all or you know all that stuff which i did buy some because I, I want to diversify, but I went after one year from his rookie year all the way to the end of gold PSA nine or graded version that was numbered out of that year. And I did that because I think the golds hold a special place in the hobby because they've been around. They're like the, the parallels from tops that have been around the longest uh, as far as my mind can think. And as a collector, they're attainable, yet they're super rare. And I started looking at the the, the pop reports. They're they're not common in higher grades because the edgy edges they're hard to get good grades of, and the value was there. They people don't people are loving the extractors and these other ones that they're not quite as rare as these gold ones. In the end, I mean, you don't really know. So, anyways, I reached out to you and I talked to talked to you and I talked to Shane about. How do you tell if the refractor is more rare than the golds? How do you know what the refractor is number two or the orange refractor is number two if they're not numbered? Because I wanted to, I wanted rare or, you know, less available stuff. I wasn't going to buy base. And so I just, basically, you guys are like, well, yeah, you kind of look at the pop report. So, you know, I started diving into the pop reports and realizing, okay, so, you know, there's not a million of these refractors because, there's only 300 of them graded overall, right? Let's just give an example. And then the golds, there was like 150 total graded. So I, I based my purchases off the fact that I, I love the tradition of the gold tops. And I love the fact that they're numbered. And I love the fact that you can pull them from the packs. Like a gold card doesn't, it's not crazy rare to pull a gold card, but they're like Tiffany sets but even more rare than Tiffany's and Tiffany's are the original parallel cards that tops made, but they weren't pack pulled. So I loved going down the gold route. So I went nuts and I bought 
every single year Mike Trout played of his gold, including his rookie year that I bought in a nine. And I bought a whole bunch of other stuff, but 90% of it is all 2012, 2011, 2012, and 2013 with the sliding. Other than that, it's the tops, the tops gold run I did the entire run. But all the other stuff is all his, his rookies, second years and third years because they're really cool looking. And I think the investment is there for those first and second years. Just like vintage, the first and second year cards are always worth more, you know, the second, third years than the later years. Maybe the last year is good too, but that's where I went. So you, that, that was my thinking behind this whole thing. And I spent, I, I'm at about $5,500 right now I spent. And I, and I, I haven't received my, I have another big one come in and that'll put me about $6,000. And that's all car, all money that I sold in cards this last month. I sold $9,000 of vintage off-centered stuff. So I'm using card budget money. That's important for me to tell people. I didn't just pull money from my bank. I didn't use a credit card. I just, well, I used the credit card because you get points. Uh, I stopped using it right out of my eBay. I just thought, hey, extra 3% off. So another sidetrack. But I want people to know that I didn't just pull this money out of thin air. I sold cards. I'm keeping money in the butt, in the hobby, in the hobby. And I wanted to have a bet going. So now I can be involved this year and I can collect these cards. So if he has a horrible season, I could buy more and get them cheaper. And in the end, when he makes a hall of fame, assuming he doesn't do steroids, we'll find, you know, we find out something crazy like that. He's in the hall of fame and I'll at least recoup the money that I had one day when I'm, you know, whatever. I, 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 I'm super excited about it. And it's been a really fun transition. And yeah, I, I don't, I love it. I'm having a blast. Before you show some of these, I want to pull one more index up, which is Aaron judge. And look, I'm not saying um, Mike Trout's going to hit 62 home runs this year, although he's certainly capable of it. If he, if he stays healthy um, or something similar to that, or even if he just had a normal Mike Trout year where his team actually makes the playoffs. Um, because look at Aaron Judge, you know, his team didn't win the World Series or anything, but he, you know, he had 62 home runs, had MVP season, unbelievable. Uh, this was while the market was absolutely tanking. Over the last year, Mike Trout's index is up 128%. So even in a tanking market, now I, I happen to think that this year might actually be a pretty good year for sport for the sports card market, seeing where things have come down. I would not be surprised at all if, if things climbed a little bit overall um, or even stayed flat, but maybe climbed. Uh, if Mike Trout has, let me pull this back here. If um, Mike Trout, let's say he has, he stays healthy. Cause that, that's obviously the biggest factor. If Mike, if Mike Trout stays healthy, he's going to have a huge year. Bottom line. That's how good he is. Uh, I don't know what his team's going to do, but let's just say he has a big year. Um, would you consider making this a season play? Meaning, I know, you know, you know, originally you're thinking after he's in the Hall of Fame and all this stuff, more of a longer term. But if he has a huge season and the cards that you've bought here are all like double, what, what's your move going to be? Are you, would you consider selling them during the season or, you know, in the playoffs or what would you do with that? Well, that's kind of why I bought extra. <laughs> it's kind of why I went side, you know, like, for example, you know, his 2012 rookie cup or his 2013 rookie cup one, the one where he's sliding, it, it's like the greatest card. Oh, this one right here. 
like this card right here. I, I went on a crazy tear and I bought a whole load of these. This one is numbered to 2013. So this is like a very, this is like the same as the gold, which I didn't even know these existed, right? Um, I love that card. Yeah, it's super cool. So I got a whole stack of these. I got his, you know, I got his orange. I got his gold mini BGS 9.5 out of numbered out of 62. There's the pops probably like two. Um, all these pops are super low, like 30s and 50s and, you know, even like total of like 200 graded each. So I bought a lot of extra stuff that I will sell off if they double. Not Yeah, if they double or got crazy. But I'll tell you this right now. Um, I'm not selling his rookie card because I think it's an iconic card. And I, and this is my one chance to get it. And regardless, unless it was a another year like COVID and it goes up to probably, I think it was like a $10,000 card at one point. Then, then yeah, I'll sell that thing for $10,000. I won't even question it. But if it doubles, no, I'm not selling it. This is a long-term collection. And my gold ones, I'm not selling unless I have doubles, which I do have doubles of some. So I bought a lot of cards and I think I did very well and I paid more than some are worth. Like the comps thing, it's hard because a lot of the stuff I was going for doesn't come up that often. And, and I like the fact that you brought up, I'm, you're betting, you think the sports card market's going to be higher this year or in the future or, or what have you. I, that's my bet too. That's, that's why I'm, when I sell my cards, I'm not putting that money in the bank. I'm buying more cards with it, whether it's vintage which it is, and these, um, I'm just keeping my money in the card world because I truly believe that we haven't even touched the surface of where the number of collectors are right now. I think they're going to be much higher in the future, and I'm super optimistic about that. Regardless of the economy, the economy is going to adjust our prices, of course, but in the end, when the economy finally comes out of a, a funk, whenever that is, I don't care if it's one year, five years, whenever, Sports cards will be on the top out of that funk because the popularity of sports cards, in my opinion, are becoming just like it did when I was a kid in the 90s and in the 80s. It really has that momentum going for it. And, and it's just really fun to be a part of. And I know a lot of people can think differently and think I'm crazy out of my mind spending this money. It, it doesn't matter. It, it, time's going to tell if I'm right or wrong. And I am like putting my thoughts and feelings and the things that I'm putting money into, I like to talk about it and I never thought I would. So to share this stuff isn't like, it's not a bragging situation. This is me just going, Hey, I'm a, I'm a collector. This is where I'm going with it. This is what I believe in. Um, I'm not telling anyone what to do. And if this is the right move or the wrong move, man, I overpaid for a lot of these cards com compared to what comps were because I didn't care about $20 or $50 on a $300 card. I just said, you know what? I'm just basically made offers and any auctions that were ending. And I bought all these cards within two months and it was very easy. It's a lot easier than buying than collecting vintage because you can go, people were willing to wheel and deal as long as you put in offers. I was putting some crazy lowball offers and getting them. And the, and so my prices are all over. So it's like an average base point for me. Um, I overpaid on a lot of stuffs and I underpaid on a lot of stuff. So that's where I'm coming from. This isn't a bragging a braggadocia type thing for me. This is me just being honest with everybody and where my collection is headed. And I can't wait to display these on my wall. I'm really excited about having an entire Mike Trout section. So. Well, it's a fun conversation because 
I think we're good examples that uh, we're both collectors. We collect vintage. We're building long-term collections that we don't really care what the prices do now or whatever. Like, you know, it's a long-term thing and we're just collecting because we love them. But doesn't mean you also can't dabble in a little modern stuff if that's your thing. If you don't enjoy it, obviously don't do it. But, uh, you know, I think people have to realize, I how many times have you heard like the, co the comparison? I've even done it um, where it's like, you compare this modern guy who's still playing and then you say, well, you know, his prices are this. And what are the odds that he'll be like this guy at the end of his career? Very low. So he's overpriced. But what people have to realize is there's a there's an entertainment premium that you're going to pay for guys who are still playing. Bottom line, because it's really, really fun to make a bet on a player like Mike Trout, for example. Buying a bunch of Mike Trout cards, how much more fun is it going to be to follow Angels baseball this year than it would have been if you didn't buy those Mike Trout cards? It's like now you've got some skin in the game. As we get older, I mean, I was a feverish sports fan for my whole life. I mean, it was like the most important thing to me. <laughs> I, I watched every Red Sox game, every Celtics game, Patriots, huge. As I've gotten older... You know, it, it, it gets harder to keep that enthusiasm just naturally. Um, so something like this where, uh, you know, you can buy some cards of a player like a Mike Trout. And now you're following the Angels. You're rooting for the Angels. You're rooting for Mike Trout even more than you would have. Uh, it makes it more fun. Uh, you can't underestimate. It's a fun thing. That's why, you know, some of these some of us older people, uh, we look at what the younger people are doing and, and we're like, oh, it's crazy. You're paying this for this. And yes, some of the stuff is crazy. But the idea of rooting for a team or a player because you have their cards, there's something behind that. It's fun. Uh, and you can do it in a way like you're doing. I think it's perfect where it's like, you know, there's no huge downside, right? Because even if Mike Trout injures his back in the first uh, game of the season and he goes, he's out for, this, out for the year, horrible scenario, uh, his cards are, of course, going to probably – decline in price but you know long, you, you are a Mike Trout fan and you want those cards long term regardless we obviously hope he, that doesn't happen but that's the way to do it so yeah I think it's a good example where you, you don't have to be all in one lane you know there's multiple ways you can do certain things at different times um, and at the same time so I think this is going to be fun uh, I, I got some uh, I got a few I only I don't I only got four Mike Trout cards in my collection uh, but I'll be I always have liked Mike Trout anyway, but now I'll be rooting for him even more because of you. Uh, th there's two of these that I bought during that period where it was like flat, um, maybe five plus years ago. I should have sold these cards during the boom, but I didn't. Uh, this one here is his first heritage card, 2012 Tops Heritage in a PSA 10. This card was I don't even want to know for sure, but this card was selling <laughs> for a lot of money. During the peak, uh, I, I probably should have sold it, but it's okay. It's got the 1963 design, which is awesome. It's an awesome card. It's a really awesome card. Second and year. The, my, the, uh, my biggest trout card, which I also should have sold, is the 2011 yeah. Bowman Draft uh, in a PSA 10. Now, it's not the refractor, just the you know the regular yeah. Bowman Draft. But this thing was selling for, uh, man, a lot. Uh, <laughs> I can't even. It's still, it's still, you know, good value to it, but should have sold it. But that's okay. I love, I love this card. Love the image. Love the black on it. Um, so, still got this one. 
And then two recent pickups, very cheap. This one, just because I love the design, 2020 finest, finest flashbacks. This yeah, those are 45 bucks. Yeah, I got it. I was like, I was like no 40 way. bucks base card. It's got yeah. the 1993 finest design or whatever. The thing is awesome looking card. Yeah. So, and a PSA 10. And then I kind of splurged a little <laughs> bit. Same one, but this is the black refractor. Woo, shiny. I, I looked up the prices of those ones after you showed me that one. Yeah. Went big. That's this is one, awesome. Uh, yeah. I mean, whatever. If, you know, I, I kind of just like having it. Like, I want to put it up on my wall. And I just love, love the look of the black refractor. It's numbered to uh, 25. So, serial numbered. And just a beautiful, man, beautiful card. Again, it's his like, what? Eighth year, ninth year card. That's okay. It's just I love the card. I love the way it the looks. The nostalgic to it too. It, it's yeah. good. That's a lasting card. That's a good card to buy. Right yep. Now. Yep. So hey, that that's Six. this was fun because um, you know we you know we talk a lot of vintage vintage cards are the best cards. I've always said that. I'll always say that. But uh, you know some of you vintage guys, you know there's some fun to be had with the modern stuff if you want to dabble a little in it. Just just saying, you know. <laughs> well, let me show a couple of Mike Trout cards. Yeah, show yours, too. please. Okay, I'm not going to show all of them, but but uh, you know what? I wanted to clarify. So the reason I also went down like the numbered path and the parallels because I started looking at the pop reports, which I never look at as a vintage guy. I don't care about the pop reports. They mean nothing to me because it's it's an eye appeal thing to me now. So it, it meant nothing before the eye appeal thing that I caught on to. Now it truly means nothing to me because – I don't, it, it's literally like a three could look like a seven. So the, the pop report of a seven being more rare than my three that looks better than a seven or whatever, it doesn't even matter to me. So I don't never looked at the pop reports until the modern stuff you have to look. And I was blown away. I never thought during the pandemic, I saw how high that Mike Trout rookie card went in a PSA 10 to like six grand or almost 6,500. I was just like, this is crazy. It's a base card. It's a card that you just pull out of a pack and you throw it in the corner and you have a stack of 50 of them. And then 10 of them come back as a 10. So none of that still makes no, it doesn't make any sense to me. The base card thing. I, I like to collect them. It just don't think it's $2,000 or right now, 1500, 1600 bucks for that card to me is crazy out of, out of, out of control because yeah, they're not going to hold value no matter what he does. He could hit. I don't know. Yeah. Value. To me, it just doesn't, there's like five, 6,000 of those right. where as something like this. Ooh, gold, the gold, you Ooh. know, for a fact that, you know, there's only, 2011 of these cards in existence and then the golds are great very strictly because of the gold borders and then you know i i want the bgs route because no psa 10s were available except for their four thousand dollars and i'm like no I'm not gonna buy those and so i got this one and it was a buy it now i put an offer in and bingo bingo i i overpaid by like 300 bucks according to comps but these never come up for sale unless they're buy it now so it, it, these don't come up for sale often so i had to get the rookie and that really was like okay let's go after it let's just do it and then i got this i got this guy first actually got the the bowman chrome refractor i'm gonna get the other one as well that's the other one i want to get and these are like 200 pop something like that like total graded or 300 total graded even in like five you know five to tens 
something like that. I'm, I'm guessing because I, I looked at a lot of pop reports, but not easy to come by. I know because I, I used to pull refractors in cards and they're not every card. They're, they're the same thing. They're like the tops Tiffany's for Bowman Chrome. Um, and then I got the gold one. This was super inexpensive. This is not a super rare card by any means, but they're still only about 300 A's graded. And this is a seven, which man, what am I doing getting a seven? Well, what it was cheap yeah. <laughs> so i'm like yeah i'll take that buy it now done i didn't even put an offer in um i got every single gold card possible every year here i won't even go through them all but my favorite ones are these sliding well these are pretty awesome a couple of these here this is probably one of my favorite designs as well this is the 2012 this isn't like a rare card the mini Oh, Man. I love that. Yeah, I've never seen that one. I love that oh, card. Dude, this is just a sick card. This is Oof. the coolest card ever. I can't wait to display it oh. all. Maybe my favorite card of all time for like an Angels card. This is the Wally Joiner to me, even though Wally had a a uh, a trophy. It this is like now Wally. I, I, I love need to it. get one of those. Yeah. Yeah. And then you know I got a couple of these. I got a couple more coming. I got the gold one coming. Um, his second year Chrome's refractors so these aren't numbered but you look up the pop reports and that kind of tells you how rare these cards are by there's only 300 graded and i know there's some sitting in boxes and stuff, but most of the stuff from 2012 you had a mike trout card you're the god at grader you knew it was going to get a, a a low grade um so i i could go on and on here I've, I've got endless stuff and and what i try to stick like i was saying is that all is 2012 and and 2013 cards like his rookie of the year card uh right here i've got his gold version i got like four versions of this one and i went for psa 10s i talked about this in a video i did i went for psa 10s if the psa 10 if it was a hundred dollar card and the psa 10 was 300 i went for the 10 if the if it was a hundred dollar card you know put that in scale a hundred dollar card and the psa 10 was a thousand dollars i went for the psa 9 um but the 10s i i Think they're pointless and and ridiculous as a collector um but as someone who wants to make money on their cards um one day the tens are just going to hold value because we're we're hooked on tens and the the guys that collect this stuff have been born and raised to love tens so i'm okay with you know owning tens it, it's all good um but most of my stuff is you know a bunch of nines and uh yeah oh here's a here's a cool one this is a really awesome card i know you guys have all seen these 2013 i have a few of these i bought some of these raw as well i got a bunch of gold ones raw that were like 15 20 bucks um we'll get those graded but yeah these are all numbered so and these are like 200 pop right here and this is these are like 60 dollars you know 60 to 100 bucks so yeah, I, I won't show everything. That's 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 all I got. That's all I'm kind of. I won't. I'm gonna show everything, but I don't want to bore everyone to death because it's endless. <laughs> well, that's the thing with with modern cards is because they're so diluted with the products, uh, especially compared to you know what we're a lot of what we're used to with vintage and so forth. Uh, you you not only have to pick the right. You could pick the right player to make a bet on a player, uh, but if you don't buy the right cards then you could still lose, <laughs> you know? So it's um, not only just, all right, I, I know baseball. I'm, I know this guy's going to be good. I'm going to buy buy some of his cards. If you don't buy the right cards, 
you still will lose money no matter what he does. He could he could hit 62 home runs, um, but not all of his cards will always go up. So uh, it, it's a it, it can be tricky, but obviously with a guy like Mike Trout who has – we're not talking about Bowman prospect thing we're doing here, um, guys who are not even in the league or whatever, because there's a lot of people who do that. Um, I'm not interested in that. I, li- I like the idea like you of a guy like a Trout um, that – has already ha- has a huge body of work and the height he has the hype too. Uh, that's something that you can't you can't create uh, like a player can't create that a lot of times. It's just they either have it in the hobby or they don't. And Mike Trout has it in the hobby and he still does even though he's had a couple couple off years or whatever for him. He's got that he's got that hype factor which I don't think it's going to go away no matter kind of what happens. Uh, and that with the hobby, that's what matters most really is that, is that hype factor. And is he a, is he a hobby darling? And he is. So uh, I think, I think there's a really good chance that he's going to have a great year this year and I could see some good things for his cards. Uh, that's not me trying to pump anything, but I think you're making some good purchases, not only for your collection, cause they're awesome looking cards, but, but uh, if you do want to sell some of them, I think there'll probably be some opportunities during the season when you can make some money on them if you wanted to. So, yeah, it's fun it, to me <laughs> buying Mike Trout cards or like Clayton Kershaw's cards, which I'm not buying, but um, it's they're like collecting vintage cards because you know they're going to go in the Hall of Fame, uh, assuming they don't do steroids or something or we find out something crazy. Um, they're already locked in the Hall of Fame. So, for me, it's it's just a safer way to play the modern game. So, yeah, that's it, man. I, I'm really excited to follow it and to see if my predictions of this, this, this is just absolute fun. I have to, one last thing. I have to give you credit. Um, you know, I give you a lot of credit for a lot of things, but you are, you are a very disciplined, very, very disciplined um, hobbyist because I know you didn't get sucked in. I did. I like with my Kevin Durant crap, I got sucked in during all the hype and everything. And I made some terrible purchases that I regret, but I've learned from. Uh, you didn't do any of that stuff. You are now, now you're making some plays. You're making some bets. You're buying some Mike Trout. So I got to give you a lot of credit for not doing that in 2021. Uh, and now you're doing it, I think, is at a much, much better time. And I just want to say, good job, man. That's 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 not easy to do. And it says a lot about your demeanor and how you go about things in the hobby. Because there are a lot, a lot of people who they wish they could be in the situation you're in right now where you don't have that, not only the financial losses from, from whatever the last two years, but just that negative feeling still of like, God, why did I do that? You know? And that, that kind of stays with you for a while. You, you kind of got a fresh, a fresh outlook on things. Now with things have come down 50% on Mike Trout cards. It's a great time. You know, things can always go lower, but I think you're doing it at a great time too. So, you know, there's, there's way less risk of, of, uh, taking a huge plunge you know what i mean i appreciate that and you know what else is funny um that that's all just because i i really just thought it was ridiculousness what was going on but i'm not giving myself props on that it just thought it was ridiculous um what i love about somehow the how i got lucky in this whole situation is the fact that all these cards that i'm selling right now these off-centered vintage cards that i have these psa sevens that i've collected over the last few decades they are all still worth they're still at their peak like everyone thinks that the vintages have come down a little bit. No, it's mainly the goats vintage stuff, the big stuff that really come down. 
the guy the the lower tier guys and the guys that the PSA sevens of the lower tier guys they're they're still they're still right here like a two hundred dollar PSA seven Ernie Banks has stayed at two hundred dollars since we hit the vintage you know since March since most people thought the peak was and people have seen Mike Mickey Mantle's cards come down and Jackie Robinson's cards come down well these mid level tier guys and mid level grades. They have not come down, so I'm selling those at a time that they're still high, and I'm trying to jump ship out of those because I just don't see a value as high as they are today in the future because I think the future is going to hold the eye appeal. Not that those cards are going to come down in value, but the fact that I don't think they're going to have the growth that a, a, a good-looking eye appeal card is going to have in the future. So I'm kind of shooting at it at both angles and I've just got straight up lucky with the fact that that's how the hobbies work out and me entering YouTube and watching other guys and learning from other people and seeing how other people have done it that running it through my brain and being like, dude, this is just make the move, sell your stuff. I've sold my stuff numerous times in my life. So it's not that hard for me to sell things either. Um, so it, it, it just, that is a lot to do with just, pure luck of me coming involved in this hobby and for the first time and not not like Mangini says in a in obscurity collecting in obscurity for 20 you know more than 30 years but 20 solid vintage years of just collecting by myself in my room <laughs> we're the we're, on a future episode of turn back the clock we're gonna bring Mangini John Mangini on uh the three of us because I want to talk about collecting in obscurity. That's going to be the title of the episode uh, because, yeah, I, I, that is there's so many people who have that, you know, that yeah. experience. I do. You do. You know, uh, John mentioned he did. So I think that would be great to John. We're going to get you on here when you can. And we're going to do we're going to talk about that topic along with other things. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. John Mangini, you guys need to go watch his stuff. He's the greatest. Me and him uh, just uh, I posted a video yesterday and. I just, I love John. I respect everything he does in the hobby and outside of the hobby. He's just a really nice person. I haven't met him in the flesh, but I feel like I've known him forever. We have the same like love for cards, but doesn't mean we have to have the same positions and thoughts, which is so fun because we've, we've clashed on opinions numerous times about the hobby, which way direction it's going or this or that. But we also have a lot of things in common and I'm learning a ton from him, a ton of stuff. So um, I just want people to know that dude, there's just love in, in amongst all of us when we talk about our opinions and there are opinions. We're not telling you to do anything like we're doing. You gotta, you want like ungraded cards bent in half dude, more power to you. That's just so much more fun if that's what you're into because it's just, it's that's where you're at. There's nothing wrong with that. We're all in different places in our lives and in our collecting lives. So it's 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 all good and fun. It's just, I can't stress enough that these are, I just like talking about it and I like expressing my thoughts because it's the first time I've been able to do so. And I, and you know, it's really fun to bounce things off of each other. So I won't talk anymore. You can end the episode. <laughs> guys thanks for sticking with us i know it was a longer episode but this was a fun real fun conversation fun topic um we'll be back with another one in the near future thanks as always guys appreciate it